Welcome to No Compromises, a peek into the mind of two old web devs who have seen some things. This is Joel. And this is Aaron. One of the joys of joining a new project is uh, in addition to like figuring out how everything works and uh, what the code does and things like that, you have to get the code running on your machine if you're going to contribute in any meaningful way. And uh, I've joined projects where that was a breeze and I've joined projects where it was a nightmare. And so <laughs> I thought maybe uh, today our topic could be sort of our experiences, things we do to make that process better, why it's important, just kind of hash that out between us and, and hopefully share something of value. Yeah, that is something that I find very interesting because it's one of those topics or one of those things that it's like you always strive to be better at, but it never seems to get perfect. Mm -hmm. Like I've worked on, like you said, I've worked on projects where it's really hard to get up and going. And I've worked on ones that's relatively easy, yet it was never just point and click or, you know, no. it, there's always something. <laughs> right. There's always, you're always a little bit off. I can think of two different reasons why that might happen. The first is, is maybe, uh, environment specific you know if we're if we're using tooling or uh you know environments that are similar the same you know it could be even as much as different os versions on your local computer okay. all that yep. kind of stuff um and then the second would be documentation you know if people are keeping instructions up to date and the idea that we don't have to document something um, because it's so easy to do um <laughs> that's 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 not true yeah <laughs> that's well it's never never true yeah, and you you, you kind of said something, by the way, not only writing documentation, but keeping it up to date, because <laughs> that's almost right. worse than no documentation is run these commands and like none of them do the thing they're supposed to do. Well, I think that's, that's something I kind of want to dig in on here then. So I think that there is a responsibility of, of someone like the lead developer to start out the first documentation. So at some point it has to be part of the project cycle where I'm going to document uh, how we get our application working for a new employee, whether or not they're coming along. I mean, it's almost better to do it if someone's not coming along right away, mm -hmm. because yeah. then you can kind of you can kind of distribute that work into your workflow. Versus, oh, I have all this work to do. I have due dates, and someone's starting tomorrow, and I have to document all this. Um, but you so don't let get the the new person be the guinea pig and have them document it as they're figuring well, it out. That's actually my next point, though. Okay. Is you, right. get, you, you get you get you get it going, and then I, I think the next thing is th there's no way that one person reading documentation someone else wrote, especially if it's someone like the senior developer, you can make yeah. tons of assumptions. Mm -hmm. Is going to be able to get all of that stuff out of there. It's probably still going to have questions. So I think it's the responsibility of the person who's then following them, following those instructions and documentation, to update it with things, you know, that were. Uh, that things that they didn't understand or maybe things have changed since last time these steps were ran or for example if everyone uses windows and then a person comes on with mac and most of the things are the same but mm -hmm. some are different even if they can make that mental leap themselves um, they still should document that for another person who comes on who maybe knows mac but isn't uh, doesn't have as much prowess uh, converting those back and forth yeah. And I, I like that point about it's kind of a team responsibility. So like if you run into something in the docs that aren't quite right, instead of just like grumbling and, and moving on, update the docs, put that in the notes and, and share that. Or, or especially with, like you mentioned an assumption, I'm assuming this uh, hypothetical lead dev doing this exercise didn't go out and like wipe their machine or buy a fresh computer. Right. So there's probably right. some tooling or like some password set up already somewhere that it's a step that's not going to get captured in the docs and that the poor 
new employee is going to bump into it. But um, working together, it, it can become a, a better, more robust piece of documentation. Now, I can hear myself years ago kind of already starting an argument with, with us and saying, like, I don't have time to do documentation mm -hmm. updates if something isn't good, or my boss yeah. doesn't carve out time to, to, to make that happen, or, or all these different, um, you'll call them reasons, but they're <laughs> excuses. And, and so I'm going to label them as excuses, but I'm going to give you a, a tip. This is a tip that I've used many times and, and kind of helps out uh, when you're in these situations. It's uh, do it anyway, <laughs> and then share the updates that you did it, on some sort of team uh, meeting. And so okay. it's really difficult. I mean, it's, it's maybe this is some sort of evil mind trickery, but it's really difficult for the boss to chastise you in front of the team for doing documentation. True. And so if you know it, you know, it has to be done. Then you share it in front of the team that it was done. Yeah. It was done. And now the team can possibly open up a conversation and say, Oh yeah, we should do more of that. Yeah. So I'm not saying that there's evil bosses out there, but sometimes they lose track of what's most important. And this yeah. is one way I've, I've seen as, as ways to, you know, get the documentation done when it needs to be done. And, and realistically speaking, updating the docs isn't the thing that's taking the time. It's like figuring out what was missing in the docs and kind of coming to that conclusion. So you could even argue right. if you don't write it down, you're wasting more time for the team overall, for the next person that has to go. Maybe it took an hour to figure it out and 10 minutes to update the docs. Now that hour is going to get repeated next time. Right. But I, I like your, uh, your strategy. I might have to use that on you sometime, Aaron, if we're uh, <laughs> in a team setting where I'm trying to do something I know you don't like, I'll, uh, I'll pull that one out. <laughs> now we've talked a little bit about kind of documentation, but it might be worth talking a little bit about the tools or the, the ways to actually go about mm -hmm. making this environment easy to set up or reproducible. What, what are your... Uh, thoughts on that kind of uh, every situation will be a little different, but like some, some general go-to uh, tools that you like to use. I think my opinions of this kind of changed as I became a contractor mm -hmm. or um, had more experience jumping from job to job. Yeah. Because when you think about uh, maybe the uh, you get a computer and maybe you work at a company for five, seven years um, and that's what you use that computer for. It might be easier just to standardize on that computer. But if you're a contractor and you know this on, on day one, I had to spin up this one client stuff and, you know, this one's on seven, PHP 7.4 and this one's on 5.3 for some reason. And, yeah. and, you know, yeah, you're trying to like juggle this stuff back and forth. Um, it becomes, becomes a little bit more important to kind of, you know, mm -hmm. containerize or encapsulize those things separately. Yeah. Um, so now, I don't want that to be confusing thinking that if you only work for, you know, one company that uh, you should just use your local computer either because uh, operating system updates, you might install <laughs> something differently. Just, you know, even as, as much as if someone doesn't do an update and now that package is no longer available and there's only updated because it's patched and et cetera. Yeah. I mean, we've all ran into that. Sure. You know, every once in a while you run into that, something like Composer and you're like, this package isn't available anymore. Well, imagine that with the base you know, PHP and Nginx yeah. and, you know, all those things in your, on your computer. So I think uh, I'm more in favor of, even if it's this computer's sole job to do this one thing that you still figure out a way to encapsulate all of that environment into something that is the same uh, for every single developer. Yeah. I mean, for me, kind of the classic thing before, before I went down this path, 
what was like you mentioned the operating system upgrade. Sometimes it was uh, I'm on a Mac, so sometimes it would be like Xcode developer tools or something would change version, and then all of a sudden like Node doesn't compile the the SAS library properly, and it spits out some really obtuse message and, and you burn half an hour to an hour getting that back right. on track. So encapsulating that sort of thing too, those pain points go away. It's a, You're inheriting maybe a different set of pain points, but I still think it's a valid trade-off for sure. When we talk about encapsulation, what are some of the tools that you might use to do that? Uh, well, my current go-to tool is Docker. I found it useful. There was a learning curve. So I, I kind of started down this path by trying to use a pre-generated Docker environment that was for Laravel. And that that was all right. Then I think I adopted a Laravel Docker template you put together and kind of just inherited it and then would ask you if I got stuck. And then only recently I started to dig in a little bit more and like kind of really understand what was happening. So when I needed to change things, it was uh, it wasn't a total black box to me. So I'm still on that path of, I certainly don't think I've mastered Docker, but I've gotten proficient enough in it that it's my go-to tool. And when I move between machines or like recently I updated my OS, I wasn't as afraid as I was in the past because I knew these things would continue to work. But that's that's currently my tool of choice. I agree. I use Docker most of the time, mm-hmm. but I would kind of caution that it's not the, you know, the overall solution for everything too, because yeah. one of the things that we preach is try to work with versions and configurations that are as close to production as possible. Yeah. And when you're working in a set of containers with, you know, certain versions of things, that's close, but that may not be the exact same situation that you have on your server. So I'm thinking about situations where maybe you um, deploy something, um, you you know, to DigitalOcean, uh, you know, using any of the tools in the ecosystem, you know, like Forge or something like that. And, and so in th- those cases, I will also consider Am I deploying this to something that can understand containerization or is it better to use a configuration of like Vagrant and Ansible? Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like how Laravel did Homestead for a long time too. Um, yep. If this is going to be more of the exact configuration I'm going to be deploying. So for example, if I'm going to be de- deploying a server that has you know Redis and MySQL and Nginx and PHP all installed in the same box, I might provision a Vagrant and Ansible version of that. Whereas if I'm going to be deploying something maybe that has an Nginx proxy and then has, you know, manage Redis, has manage MySQL and stuff like that. I know that those are, they're not the same as my containers, but they're remote and they're different Mm -hmm. and they're encapsulated. I might then locally use Docker. Yeah. And I I do that too, because I'm, I'm not at the point where I'm deploying using Docker, but what I will do, let's say I have a forge managed VM and you know you can click a button and get the next version of PHP or even like a patch version. Before I do that, I will update my Docker instance to that exact version I'm going to go to. You know, so it's a new patch version of 7.4. Mm-hmm. Similar with like updating MySQL, I, I generally would use the managed service like RDS, and it gives you control over what version you want to run. And so I don't let it just auto update when there's an update available. I first do it in my Docker container locally, rerun my test, and then I'll, I'll do it. And so it's not technically in sync, but uh, by convention, I sort of manage it that way and use that flow. And so far, it's worked pretty well. It's, it has caught some things locally that I didn't have to find the hard way in production. I think the last thing I'll kind of bring up here is that another thing is the planning of how you might introduce someone 
to the code now when it's running. I've seen a lot of people say, well, I'm going to give this new developer a job that kind of touches a lot of spots mm -hmm. inside of the application. So they get familiar with the application, right? So if yeah. they have to adjust this, you know, they, they're loading all these pages. Um, and we forget that feeling when we first start into a project, <laughs> which is OMG panic, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I am, I don't know what's going on here. And so it can take a while to even understand how one feature works. And when the new developer, now you're saying, try to figure out real quick, how six features work, make small little changes, you know, and they're trying to show you they know how to do stuff or whatever. Right. So I'd say one of, one of the things I would, you know, I'd finally preach is, is you know, we have documentation, we have, uh, you know, containerization or, or same environments. And then I'd say the final thing is uh, give someone a very singular measurable task that's more of a silo than spread all over so they can learn one thing and you can see how fast it takes someone to learn one thing in your code base. Mm -hmm. That's more, much more useful than saying scatter yourself all over because, you know, if, if you're only, especially if you're only touching the, the, the top level of everything, you still don't know how fast it's going to take them to dig into something that's actually more complex. Yeah. So you're not an advocate of just throw somebody in the deep end and uh, not help them out. Well, yeah, right in the deep end, <laughs> but like, you know, just hold them in that one spot then. Just one deep end, not a not yeah. a whole bunch of yeah. deep ends. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. I want them in a the deep end. I don't want them in a bunch of shallow pools. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. Aaron, you and I spend quite a lot of time in uh, meetings, and generally, we like to have our meetings over video conferencing. Mm -hmm. uh, in other areas of my life, I've spent a fair amount of time on video conferencing lately as well. And uh, there's this, this thing I've noticed that can be a little awkward and I'd, I'd like your advice on it. When you're ready to hang up the call, there's always this like weird panicked dead stare when you're searching for that button. So lately I've taken it upon myself to figure out the keyboard shortcut to exit because that way I'm first one out and I, I, I'm not that guy like stabbing at his iPad or looking for where Zoom moved the button this week. What's your strategy or, or do you have any observations along those lines? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's the uh, stare. It's, it's, it's more of the down look. Okay. So yeah. it's, uh, you know, it's like you're, you're making eye contact and then everyone says bye and everyone looks down <laughs> to the right hand corner. Yep. Uh, like I should take like a, like a, a Brady Bunch screenshot of this at some point. Actually, I think what, what we should do is um, kind of like the equivalent of no, you hang up, which is mm. when you say bye, just keep staring forward. <laughs> at some point, you're going to be the last one on the call, and then you can look all over as you try to close out the window. So we, we've turned an awkward situation into like a confrontational feat of strength to see who, who will buckle first. <laughs> this was really um, my middle name. <laughs> I like oh, that. that looks I uncomfortable. Like that. Let me make it into a fight. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll talk to you later. And then you just sit back and you just look at them. No, yeah. no movement toward the mouse or anything at all. Oh, if you could flare your nostrils, that's even better. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, seriously, I ended up, uh, I saw that too. Um, and I ended up making like an Alfred script with, with that interacts with L, uh, Apple script to like click those buttons. It turns out there's a shortcut key, but uh, <laughs> I didn't realize that. So I have this like super complex thing that I can like just make it look like I'm just typing something and closes. But but I will tell you, 
there was one or two times where I also, I knew I was having that problem. So I would go and I like move my mouse and hover over the leave button and get it ready to go. Primed um, and ready. And, yeah. And, and, and that worked uh, nine out of 10 times. The, the 10th time being when I accidentally just clicked for no good reason when I moved my mouse there and left the call early. But I mean, yeah, it's a problem. And I, I think we've given everyone some solutions to that. Well, and in worst case, if you're panicking, just rip the power cord out of the wall and you're done. In this episode, we talked a little bit more about the theory of things, but if you're looking for a little bit more hands-on code-related tips, we can help. Check out our weekly newsletter at nocompromises.io slash tips. 